Okay. So uh, this week I was going to talk to you guys about Mary accompanying us in faith. Um, and I like to kind of pull on two readings to kind of start our focus here. Uh, the first is uh, at the beginning of Matthew um, here. Pulled up. And it's not the whole genealogy. In case you're worried, we're going to read the whole genealogy here. <laughs> Always that fun reading. Um, so this is in regards to uh, the time of uh, the birth of Jesus. So now this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his, Mary, or his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill the Lord had said through the prophet. Uh, and then skipping ahead, when Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. Then I want to kind of jump to another story that maybe has a kind of similar uh, wording here. It's actually in the Gospel of John. Um, so, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. And so I like to kind of juxtapose Joseph and St. John um, in regards to our blessed mother. Um, you know, in this interesting uh, reference both Matthew and John's gospel make about taking Mary into their home. And sure, there's obviously particulars. St. Joseph is married to uh, Mary at the time. And if you remember at the time, there's a period after the initial marriage certificate before, you know, people moved in together typically a year. So this is before uh, they moved in together, even though they were married. Uh, and then obviously this, in, at the end here, this is Jesus uh, um, having John uh, you know, see Mary as his mother and then John appropriately taking care of Mary since Mary's a widow and doesn't have any rights. So obviously there's the specifics about that, but we can look, of course, deeper into these words about taking Mary into their home and how are we having Mary in our home, in our spiritual home of uh, our bodies, our soul? How are we having Mary accompanying us in our journey of faith, just like Mary accompanied St. Joseph and Mary accompanied St. John. And um, uh, St. John Paul II uh, had an encyclical back in 19, uh, I think it was 86, called Redemptoris Mater, or uh, Mary, uh, um, the uh, basically co-redemptress. Um, and um, he starts out the same way, actually, that uh, um, the Second Vatican Council uh, started in reference to Mary's role in salvation. 
and quotes uh, from Galatians uh, 4 um, from St. Paul when he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to ransom those under the law so that we might receive adoption. As proof uh, you are children, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so... St. John Paul II actually takes this uh, statement and says, in the same way that Jesus is born uh, through Mary, born of a woman uh, in the incarnations, in some ways we, the church, are also in in a similar way born because we're mystically part of the body of Christ. And so we mystically participate in that incarnation, um, being members of the body of Christ. And um, obviously, this then puts it a very important role Mary plays as co-redeemer of the world. And of course, um, the the first thing we kind of come to, um, you know, Mary in St. Luke's Gospel is that fiat, right? When the angel Gabriel comes and, you know, tells her that you're going to be uh, the mother of God, you know, and she says, you know, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Let me done according to my word. And basically her yes to God is really that undoing of um, of the no by Eve in the in the garden. OK. And so um, this is, you know, as we know, we um, then see Mary as our mother, just as, you know, you know, Eve is the mother of all, you know, as we really learn about in Genesis. Mary is the mother of all the reborn in Christ, okay? Um, and uh, St. John Paul then goes on to say how Mary is the model of the spouse of Christ. So if we think about it, you know, people kind of joke about this, but what type of woman is a guy looking for, right? Probably someone like his mom. Yeah, you know, right? I mean, it's subconsciously we're kind of like, oh, is my mom, my mom's not quite like that, you know. She's a little quirky. I don't know if you know I want to date this person or something like that. But subconsciously, we're almost like comparing, you know, the person we're dating to. How's that, you know, fit with the image of my mother? You know, maybe why there's that such that uh, bitterness kind of uh, between mother-in-law and you know mother-in-law and daughter-in-law built in the culture is because you know you know a guy's admiration is how much she compares one to the other maybe and so it it would make sense that you know christ spouse the church should model you know his mother right and how would he model his mother he would want his mother to be the perfect model for his spouse it's like i want you to see and so really in mary uh, Mary is the fulfillment of the potential of what the church can be. You know, she completely embodies all grace. That's why she's called full of grace by the angel. Uh, all perfection and virtue, um, and uh, complete love and fidelity to God. And that's what the church is called to. And so uh, John Paul II states, I wish to make this point straight away. She, the church, proceeds along the path already trodden by the Virgin Mary, who advanced in her pilgrimage of faith and loyalty and loyally preserved in her union with her son unto the cross. 
In the Most Holy Virgin, the Church has already reached that perfection whereby she exists without spot or wrinkle. Um, so, journey with our mother, okay? And we think about this. Who journeyed with Mary, you know, for all his life? Christ, right? Christ was always with Mary. I mean, even traveling around, we know Mary traveled around, you know, maybe he wasn't right, right in the thick of things, like, you know, at the campfire with the 12, you know, disciples and kind of that overbearing helicopter parent, like, what are you guys doing? You know, but she was traveling in the midst of the group and following and watching her son. Um, so she is the model disciple. And then we also have to remember she's also the woman that Genesis foretold about, you know, in Genesis 3.15 when it says, you know, I will put enmity between you and the woman, referring to you as, you know, the serpent or Satan. And so this enmity or this, you know, this, uh, you know, standing against, you know, s Satan is this woman. And... Uh, also, this woman we get hear about in Isaiah when Isaiah is talking to uh, um, um, to uh, um, what is this? It's not a um, Azar, not Aha, but Azar. I forget his name. Anyways, he was a he was a bad king of Israel, and basically asking for a, a sign. Okay. And the sign that he would uh, would receive is that th there would be a virgin who's to conceive and bear a son who's to be called Emmanuel. So the sign starts out revealing this virgin, okay? And so um, she is closely united with her son in this story of redemption, okay? And so what, what type of things can we kind of gain from Mary. I mean, we could spend huge books, of course, on you know Mary's uh, virtuous life and 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 kind of micro, you know, look down at a lot of little things. But uh, what are the things that we can kind of gain from Mary? And obviously, the first one is faith, right? Okay, she's a woman of faith. Uh, obviously, the first thing we think about is that fiat when she trusts in the in the Lord. And we have to think how trusting she is, okay? So, you know, she is now going to be pregnant. It's not going to be through Joseph. Um, you know, if other people see this, that can, you know, create scandal and shame for her. And she puts her life at risk because if Joseph doesn't accept her like he did, I mean, the law at that time was if you commit adultery, you get stoned to death, right? So... This is a huge trust saying, yes, God's going to make this happen. Even though, worldly speaking, I have no power. And if Joseph decides to uh, publicly divorce me and said I committed adultery, I'm dead, you know. And I can't, you know, what proof am I going to be able to say, hey, it's through the Holy Spirit, everyone. You know, when has that happened before? Never, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so there is that huge trust that she placed in God by obviously saying yes to God about the plan for the uh, incarnation. And then uh, the prophecy is Simeon, right? So they're uh, at the presentation and uh, Simeon's prophesizing about Jesus, so that he would be the rise and fall of many. Uh, and that uh, a, pier a sword would pierce her own heart. 
So, you know, at this joyous moment of presenting the, you know, Jesus to God, right, she gets this message of, you know, it's going to be a lot of suffering and you're going to have your heart pierced by a sword. You know, that's not what, you know, a new mother wants to hear about what's the come of uh, your child here and you, right? Uh, so, the, you know, that, that um, uh, very scary proposition. Uh, and then, of course, we have the flight to Egypt. They have to, you know, leave uh, Bethlehem um, and go to Egypt. Uh, and obviously a place that represents slavery to the Jewish people. Uh, so they're not living in, you know, their homeland. Uh, and they have to trust they'll be able to survive and live there. Uh, or the time when Christ is missing for three days, you know, takes Christ who's about 12 years old at the time uh, for the Passover uh, to the temple because uh, he's old enough at that point to make the uh, yearly pilgrimage. And then they kind of lose him and are searching for him for three days, right? Um, and so there's that trust. And then I talked about last uh, time, the, the wedding feast, um, you know, that trusting in Jesus' plan to start his ministry, uh, knowing what that will lead to, what si- uh, Simeon talked about, and her pushing uh, our Lord forward in the Gospel of John to, uh, to start his ministry publicly, uh, which will then lead to his death on the cross. And then, of course, the cross itself, you know, that trust in okay, you know, my son is dying on the cross and he's supposed to be the savior of the world and trusting in God the Father's plan to redeem the world through this. Um, When, worldly speaking, this looks like an utter failure. You're being killed uh, as a criminal, basically. And so we can really take heart from our mother's life and her faith in God throughout all these extreme difficulties. In fact, you know, the saints actually say the sorrows that her mother experienced in her life, uh, no one can compare to except for Christ's sorrows, which were greater, of course. But otherwise, no one, others, no one, you know, sorrows can compare to her sorrows. Um, you know, it's I think it's the psalm or something where someone says, like, has anyone experienced the woe that I've experienced before? Um, and so her faith, despite that, um uh, is, is a, a strong model for us to kind of learn from. Um, the next thing I want to, uh, I think we have to remember is that Mary is also a woman of joy, you know, um, despite all this uh, difficulty in her life. Um, if we think about uh, the Magnificat, right, she goes and rushes to Elizabeth, uh, and Uh, In the midst of this possible difficulty, you know, that she might face, you know, how am I going to explain this to Joseph and all this stuff? Her first words out of her mouth are, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I mean, she is fully at joy because the, the promise to her people now is coming to fulfillment. You know, this is the fullness of time that Paul is talking about in Galatians. Like, here it is. You know, and despite all the difficulties, despite what's before her, she rejoices about it. She opens up and rejoices about it. And she rejoices not because of something great that she thinks she's doing on her own. She gives all the credit to God. She says, the, for the, you know, 
Henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for the Almighty has done great things for me. Right? And so her joy is in what God is doing in her life and what God is doing for her people and what God is doing for the world. Um, and that's where her joy springs forth. It's not like a personal accomplishment, like, you know, I'm I'm the CEO of uh, the top company or something and I did all this. this. This is a joy in what God's doing. And so that teaches about what true joy, what true happiness is is realizing the plan of God in my life, for the plan of God in the lives of people around me, and the plan of God's life um, in general. Um, and then uh, another thing, of course, is service. Our Mary was very attentive to people. Uh, first, obviously, we see that in, you know, uh, going to Elizabeth. You know, she left her home to travel to Elizabeth immediately after she had learned that Elizabeth was also expecting um, and goes off and serves her there for three months, especially helpful because Elizabeth is in her older age, so pregnancy at that age is not easy probably, and two, she has a mute husband who can't speak. <laughs> so, um, you know, going off and attending to Elizabeth, or obviously she's very attentive to the needs of the couple at the wedding feast, so she sees that they're out of wine, which we talked about last time, that, you know, running out of wine was a very bad sign at your wedding. It was a sign that it shows that you cannot provide as a bridegroom if you ran out of wine. And so she's very attentive to how bad that would look for the couple, especially the bridegroom. And so she's very uh, noticeable, noticing of these things. Um, and then we just also have to remember Mary's life as well was, you know, just being a simple housewife. I mean, uh, this hidden life of, you know, preparing food, cleaning the house, sewing new clothes or mending clothes, you know, helping with other, you know, um, um, extended families, children, because they kind of lived in extended clans, you know, everyone kind of knew everybody and lived in the same area. And so they all kind of pitch in and help out with family needs all around them, you know, they don't just kind of isolate in their own home. So Mary was very uh, much attuned to the needs of others around her and seeing what other people need and recognizing that, you know. Um, and so, the, you know, that, that uh, sense of service. And then uh, prayer, okay. So there's two instances in Luke where it says uh, uh, Mary pondered. So first she ponders the greeting of, of the angels, you know, what sort of greeting was this that she was receiving, especially since it was a huge surprise to her. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, in, when um, Jesus is found in the temple, um, it talks about Mary pondering again all things in her heart. And so eh, that's one of the deepest aspects about Mary that we can learn is learn at her school of prayer, you know. And prayer, if we really think about it, actually is a feminine quality, you know, because prayer isn't about what I do for God. It's what I what God does to me in my soul, right? That's first and foremost. And so there is that quality of receptivity uh, that the soul needs to have in order to receive God. Just like we talk about that feminine quality of receptivity in marriage, you know, versus, you know, masculinity, you know, a woman receives so she can love and a man loves so that he can receive. So Mary really espouses to us that deep quality, that deep sense of prayer of pondering and meditating on her son's life. And that really, I think, comes the culmination we see uh, at Pentecost. So we remember that Jesus tells them, you know, wait 
back in the upper room until you've received power on high. And the people we see there are, you know, the disciples and Mary and um, some of the holy women and, uh, you know, some of uh, Jesus' uh, uh, relatives, okay? And they talked about during this time, uh, you know, in the upper room, preparing for that in prayer. And you can just imagine Mary's at the center of this kind of, you know, maybe not speaking loud and being, you know, the head of everything. I'm, I'm sure Peter's taking the lead, but I'm sure Mary is very much influencing what's going on there, influencing the prayer uh, and preparing to receive the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, and then we learn about what the early church community is after that. You know, in Acts 2, it says they did devote themselves to teaching of the apostles and to communion life and to the breaking of bread and to prayers, you know, and again, we can see Mary at the center of this uh, um, infant church, helping to guide them to grow in what that looks like. Because if we remember, really, the house in Nazareth with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph really is that kind of infant or early appearance of what the church should look like. You know, um, and so very much so, does Mary have an influence on that growing community? Okay. Um, and then finally, uh, I think an important aspect coming back to that aspect of Mary is about suffering. Um, and um, we've heard this term before, probably redemptive suffering and, you know, or the old Catholic thing, oh, we'll just offer it up. And sometimes people are a little cynical about that, like, oh, you're just offering it up like that's going to do anything, like some magical forces come around and change everything. So sometimes people are cynical about the term. Uh, but we have to come back to St. Paul, who really fleshes out this understanding of redemptive suffering probably better than any of the other writers. When he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ on behalf of his body, the church. And so that aspect of our suffering being united to Christ, not that Christ's suffering isn't full and complete and total, but remember, Christ took on all the suffering of the world and the cross in the form of taking on all our sins because the fruit of sin is suffering and death. So Christ takes on everything. He took on my sins, the pain and punishment of my sins that I commit, of your sins, of everyone's sins, and all the suffering that comes from that because really that is what the where suffering and death come from is sin, right? That's how it entered the world. Was sin came in the world, and the and the children or the fruits of sin are those, and so when I unite my suffering, right now I'm putting it in a redemptive aspect because only Christ can redeem that, only He has the power. But I'm part of His body, right, and so by doing that, the redemption of the cross is living in me, and not only is it converting me, and bringing me closer and making me more like Christ. It has an effect on others, right? Christ said it himself. You know, I, you know, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, right? Well, if we're living as other Christ for others and we're on our cross and taking, picking up our cross daily as Christ commanded us, you know, then we're bringing Calvary, you know, and that redemption to other people. And they're experiencing that. And that's how we're filling up the suffering, you know, uh, or filling up... Uh, you know, in my flesh, filling was lacking the afflictions of Christ because we need to bring that redemption 
throughout all of history. You know, we can't just leave it at that one point in time back in Calvary. And so we know that Mary was there united with her son, close to her son. Um, and I think the final aspect we have to think about is how Jesus approached that discussion in John, um, calling him, uh, calling her first woman. Okay, so John refers uses woman only uh, twice in his gospel, and then he refers to woman in Revelation. And the referring to woman, calling Mary woman, he's clearly identifying that same woman back in Genesis. Okay, back in Genesis 3:15, who would have enmity between her and the serpent between her seed and his seed okay and the first thing is is that john first turns to mary right he doesn't turn to john this isn't just a hey john watch out for my mom because she's a widow and she has no rights and let's just make sure nothing bad happens to her she first turns to mary and tells mary her responsibility this is your son and basically everyone else who is a member of my body, you know, is, you know, who's a child of the father, who is my brother and sister, now is your child, you know. So that that turning to her first shows that she's the central role in this relationship. Not that our role of her, you know, saying that we're her son is not important, but Mary gets the first part, okay? So in that interaction, we can already see that that Christ is highlighting that she has this central role in the relationship. Um, and then we have this important role, too. Um, and so uh, we have to see how much our Lord, by giving us his mother, is such a great gift. Because not you know she was there accompanying him, supporting him along the way. Even though he's God... He also experiences temptations and suffering and difficulties, right? And the difficulty on the cross. And there's his mother supporting him. So we also have to see how she is supporting us in our journey of faith, just like Mary was there, just like Mary gave her gave Christ her body, you know, so Jesus could grow inside, so Jesus could be nourished, help raise him, help teach him things. You know, we also have to see that because that's also what the church should be for us, right? When it's living out its vocation perfectly, it's basically living uh, as a mother to us. And that vocation lived out perfectly is found in Mary. Um, And so I want to leave you kind of with this really powerful uh, words from our our mother to St. Juan Diego. Um, and actually, almost every time I read him, it almost makes me cry. So St. Juan Diego at this time, he's a little bit worried because his uncle's very sick and near death at this point. Um, and so he's been more concerned about that than trying to follow through and help Mary because Mary wants to establish, of course, this church uh, in on the hill at Tepeyac there. And so this is what Mary tells St. Juan Diego uh, in regards to his anxiety and fears about his uncle. He said, she says, Listen and let it penetrate your heart. Do not be troubled or weighed down with grief. Do not fear any illness or vexation, anxiety or pain. Am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle, in the crossings of my arm? Is there anything else you need? And it's just like this powerful prayer. You can almost put yourself 
in her arms there, and you're looking up at this immaculate, most beautiful face of our Blessed Virgin. And it's like, what do I have to fear anymore? You know? Um, and that's such a powerful experience along our, our, our journey of faith. I mean, think about this. Herod's coming after to kill Jesus, and Jesus is sitting there in the folds of his mother's mantle in her arms, looking up, you know, while some madman's trying to come after and kill him. How reassuring. He has he has no clue that, he, that anything bad's going to happen in, in the sense of humanly speaking, you know, right? Because he's right there and he's looking at his mother. What What does he have to fear? And so we also have to put ourselves in that way and put ourselves in our trust us to our mother uh, and trust ourselves to our mother by bringing her into our house. You know, maybe that's even physically. Maybe we, you know, get a picture of our mother or something that we put up in our apartment or house or whatever to have that kind of presence there that we can look to easily. Um, but also just bringing her to our prayer life, to our soul, to our speaking to her when we're having difficulty. You know, I'm sure Jesus talked to her, you know, hey, these, these disciples are really tough, mom. <laughs> they don't listen too well, you know. Uh, you know, she's here to listen, you know, but she's also here to kind of drive away our fears and help us to remember that she has ultimate power through her son. So I'd like to finish with uh, a prayer to our Blessed Virgin. Um, do you guys know the Memorari well, or do you want to just do a Hail Mary? Hail Mary. We'll do a Hail Mary then. Okay. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of death. Amen. All right. So I was thinking next time...